Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. Well, after four children over the course of 21 years, my parents were certain that their family was done. At the respective ages of 42 and 48, they had me. <laughs> what do you mean, oh, wow? <laughs> My mom thought that she was going through the change. Yeah, she was, of me, every three to four hours. <laughs> it was not the script that my family had planned for themselves. Maybe some of you have felt that, but God had His plan. Besides, how can you argue with saving the best for last? <laughs> oh, by the time my siblings ever show up again, y'all have forgotten. Now, while that certainly seems unusual, it doesn't compare to some of the births mentioned in the Bible. In fact, the Bible contains a record of some of the, remote, the most remarkable births ever. Isaac was born to Sarah when she was 90 years old. Can we say way past the age of conceiving a child? Samson was born to Manoah's childless wife. Samuel, the prophet and anointer of kings, was born to Hannah, who was previously childless, and most believe older herself. Same with John the Baptist, who was born to Elizabeth, Mary's relative. Elizabeth was not only barren, but was well in advanced in age herself. But none of these births come close to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, actually, the, the, the moment of the birth wasn't maybe that abnormal. What's remarkable about Jesus was his inception, his conception. You know, we talk about the virgin Mary and the virgin birth of Jesus, and by that we understand that Mary was still a virgin at the birth of Jesus. She had become pregnant supernaturally without the aid of a human being. And so while it's okay to talk about the virgin Mary and the virgin birth of Jesus, it seems more accurate that we talk about the supernatural conception of Jesus. Last time we were together, which was two weeks ago, Matthew's purpose we saw in writing his gospel was to show that Jesus really was the expected king of the Jews. So following Matthew's lead, we traced Jesus' ancestry through his human lineage. If you recall, we... Uh, hesitated over the five women especially that were in that genealogy along with David and Abraham. But it's Jesus' divinity, His divine nature that was constantly denied. Not just by those in the first century who couldn't and wouldn't accept Him as the Messiah, as the Lord, as God with us, as King of Kings. But Jesus' divinity has been denied throughout the generations, even up to our time. And one of the attacks against his divine nature had to do with his conception. My guess is 99.99% .99 of the people at the time accused Mary of becoming pregnant by some man. And of course, Joseph would deny that he had anything to do with her being pregnant. So he too would have accused Mary of being with some other man. So Matthew is writing his account of the conception of the birth of Jesus 
to set the record straight as to what really happened. Matthew tells us this in our reading. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Now, technically, Matthew tells us little about the birth. He wants to report the events surrounding the birth of Jesus. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant with the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. To help us understand what all this must have been like, I want to read an excerpt from a short story entitled, How Joseph Got Ready for Christmas. What am I going to do? He must have asked himself. It's plain to me that Mary is going to have a baby. It's also plain to me that that baby is not mine and that Mary must have broken her promise to me by taking another man. Joseph laid down his mallet and chiseled. His hands were shaking. How could she do such a thing, he asked. I cannot marry her. So I'll have to end our betrothal. It's the only honorable thing to do. He paused for a moment. I'll take her into the marketplace, he said, and then tell everyone there what she has done and put her away right then. Then he took a deep breath and sighed. I don't like this feeling at all, he said. But right now, I would really like the whole world to know what she's done. He paced in a circle. But I wouldn't want anyone to treat me that way either, he said. I still love her. I can't embarrass her in public like that. Again, he paused. I'll go to her and tell her what I have to do, then we'll end the thing privately. I'll borrow enough money to keep her until the baby is born, but then take her to live with Elizabeth so nobody in Nazareth has to know ever what she has done. And then I will tell her goodbye forever. He walked inside and paced around the room, his mind filled with anxiety and confusion, not knowing that these feelings signaled that he was in danger of doing a grave wrong he walked outside and looked at the stars. Then he came back in and lay down on his bed and finally fell asleep. In his dream, he saw an angel. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for what is conceived in her is not by man, but by the Spirit of God. Her baby will be a little boy, he continued, and you will give him his name, Jesus, which means he will save his people from their sins. When Joseph awoke, he pondered what he had seen and heard. In doing so, he felt the anxiety and confusion drain away to be replaced with so much peace that he totally forgot his plan to put Mary away and instead gladly took her as his wife. After that, when she told him the rest of the story, he wanted to cry. I will not leave you, he said, and I will adopt your son and be his earthly daddy.
That excerpt that I just read is from a short story by our own Leon Smith. And I wanted to share that with you this morning with his permission. He was here at the early service. He knew that I was going to do that. Well, then to finish our text, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And then he quotes from Isaiah, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Now we knew how the story was going to end. We've heard this dozens of times. We knew Joseph would do the right thing, especially after the angel set him straight. But let's consider what each of the major players contributed to the story. First, notice the dilemma of Mary. Matthew began our text this morning with this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Following ancient Jewish customs, Mary was pledged to be married, that is, betrothed. To Joseph. It's quite likely that Mary was as young as 13 or 14. Joseph being older, maybe early 20s, some guess maybe even a little older, guessing that because by the time Jesus gets to adulthood, we don't hear of Joseph anymore, leading us to conclude that due to an uh, older stage in his life, he has already passed away. In any case, according to Jewish custom, the betrothal signified much more than an engagement in the modern sense. There was this carefully laid out plan to be followed. You see, at that time, a Jewish marriage consisted of two stages, the betrothal and the wedding ceremony. The betrothal was considered binding as soon as it was made. So the man and wife were considered legally married at that point. So during the betrothal, they were legally married. However, the consummation of the marriage, that's the making the baby's part, did not occur until a year later when the wedding ceremony was held. Now, the two-stage marriage would be finalized. So why the year-long betrothal? Well, during that year, the man would set up his home, get it all established, so that within 12 months it would be rearranged. <laughs> he would set up the home, set up their life together, establish a good source of income, create a safe environment for his new bride, and a safe environment for the new bride's parents' peace of mind. And not to leave the woman out, during that year she would busy herself with creating and gathering items for her new home, linens, clothing, cooking items and utensils. All this to say Mary is in the betrothal stage of marriage. She was pledged to be married to Joseph but had not yet the wedding ceremony. Matthew then adds that before they came together, she was found to be with child. Matthew doesn't tell us how she was found to be with child. He simply notes that she was pregnant. Now, we would also hear from Luke's gospel. You knew I'd have to throw Luke in there. 
For those of you that don't know, we've been studying Luke for two years. We'll get back to it after Christmas. But Luke, in chapter 1, the angel Gabriel visits Mary. And he told her this. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. Now, quite understandably, in the midst of this discussion, Mary had to ask, how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive, that's Elizabeth, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. After the angel left, Mary readied herself, and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she would enter Zechariah and Elizabeth's home. Elizabeth at this point is now six months pregnant with John the Baptist. We're told by Scripture that Mary stayed there in the hill country of Judea, in other words, with Zechariah and Elizabeth, for three months, and then returned home to Nazareth. It's likely that shortly after Mary's return to Nazareth that she began to appear pregnant. The baby bump appeared. That's when she was found to be with child. And no doubt people would have wondered if Mary became pregnant by someone living in the hill country of Judea. Of course, Mary knew that she was with child through the Holy Spirit. But who would believe her? No one had ever heard such a thing. How would Joseph ever believe her? That's precisely what we encounter next, the distress of Joseph. Matthew doesn't tell us how Joseph learned of Mary's pregnancy. Maybe he looked at Mary and said, turn sideways. He was pledged to be married to her. He was building them a home. And now was all this work for nothing? Matthew tells us that Joseph was a righteous man, which means he trusted God. He was a morally upright man. He was faithful to the law, we're told. He wanted to obey God. He wanted to obey God's laws. So he knew he couldn't follow through with the wedding ceremony, part two, because as far as he knew, Mary had had relations with another man. At the same time, it was clear that Joseph was also a loving, compassionate, tender-hearted man. And because he didn't want to expose Mary to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly, that is, privately. You see, the Old Testament law actually required death for adultery. So as to remove from the community evil thoughts, evil deeds... So you see how distressing this would be for Joseph. He always had every intention of following God's law, but he clearly loved Mary. Even though he had been shamed. I mean, look, Mary was pregnant by someone other than him while they are betrothed. Yet Joseph's concern was not for his own shame, but for Mary's. 
Even though he was greatly distressed by the situation, he decided to do what was best for her. And I say, wow, what an example to follow. And I'm afraid all too often we don't put the needs of our spouse anywhere close to what Joseph did for Mary. Imagine what a difference that would make in our marriages. Putting the needs of others ahead of us, choosing to act and speak in ways, speak in ways that would build them up rather than tear them down. Joseph decided to do what was best for her and divorce her quietly. Of course, as it turned out, he didn't have to disobey God's commands. And that brings us to the directive of the angel. Matthew tells us that after Joseph considered doing what he was going to do to Mary, you know, just getting rid of her in a way, quietly, privately, but then he fell asleep. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Let me remind you of what he said to him. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. What a remarkable turn of events. Joseph was deeply distressed because of Mary's situation. And suddenly, while he was sleeping, an angel appeared to him and gave him the most incredible message that Mary was really pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine how Joseph must have felt? Mary had not lied. What she said was really true, but more than that, the child that Mary was carrying was the promised Messiah. He was the king that Joseph and all of his people we're waiting for. Now think about this. Joseph goes from the lowest of lows when he assumes Mary has cheated on him to the highest of highs to, real, to come to the realization that that's not true. To being completely blown away when he also realizes he's now going to be dad to the king of kings, God with us, savior of all mankind. So we've talked about Mary and Joseph and the angel. And throughout, we really see that Jesus is at the center of it all. That's truly the central message of the Gospel of Matthew. It's the central message of Christmas. As the angel announced, Jesus is the only one who will save his people from their sins. You and I sin. We do it on a daily basis. We deserve punishment. But this child of Mary would, at the age of 33, take on all our sin in his body on the cross. He paid the penalty for all of our sin. Not because we deserved it. Not because we had worked hard enough to merit it. Not because we've been good enough by the way we live. But in the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy, he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own 
purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. So let me ask you, do you know Jesus? Do you know that he loves you? Do you know that he wants to have a relationship with you? If you haven't opened your life to him and you want to know more about what that means, I'll be up front at the close of the service. Come and we'll talk together. Or if there's anything on your heart for which you want prayer for yourself or for someone else, we'll meet together. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.